All right, and we are live. So welcome to this, our second episode of the Teen Parent Advocate podcast. And I explained the last time that we were on that um, the reason why I was doing this was to, um, to really build this village of advocates. And that's really my purpose for it all. I just want to build just a team of advocates and a people that's really going to go out there and help people that are in need. And this is a population that is definitely in need. Oh, thank you, Erica. Um, it's work. It's work. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of fight, but I think I have the fight in me. So it kind of works well with my personality. Um, I get a lot of flack for, uh, my teen moms and the work that I do out here, but you know, I have enough people that, you know, is rooting me on that. It just keeps me motivated. And every time I see, or, you know, get a new teen mom in my homes, I'm just motivated even the more to just keep it going and to fight for them. And, and, um, you know, and I think of the sacrifice that I had made, um, with my, the termination of my baby when I was 15, um, just keeps me going. It's, it's just that it just keeps me going. But advocacy is so important because we don't have a lot of services that are available to our team parents. And so trying to get everybody to talk about this. And so, like I had did my podcast. I know people watched it on Facebook, but on the actual podcast, I didn't get any hits on that. And I understand that. And I'm on Spotify and there's a couple of more um, uh, streaming services that I'm on. And I totally get it because I'm telling you, if you watch me work, it's going to build. And I'm, I'm, I'm not stopping until this thing takes off and becomes something like a certified program is really what I'm creating, where if you're going to be working in any industry where you are dealing with teenagers, where the possibility of them becoming teen moms, you will need to have a level of certification in order to do that. And I noticed in my last one that I'm in my guest bedroom, but I noticed that my computer is like right there. But anyway, it is what it is. So anyway, I'm starting off this podcast with this, this article. Now the article is a little old. It's 2017, but it popped up on my Facebook page. And I want to know what you guys think about it. It's talking about this mom. Now she's 20 years old. So she's still a young mom, um, not a teen mom, but she's a young mom. And she was in Alabama and the article calls the article is called medical kidnap. And I don't know what that's all about. And I don't know what's going on in Alabama, but I thought this was an interesting topic that needed to start off our podcast today. But it says in, it's called, is Alabama um, DHR offer to young mother blackmail? Give up your daughter and we will not take your other children. Okay. What a thing. You know, once I saw that my everything in me stood up and it was just like, okay, I need to, to figure out what this is about. So basically her court appointed attorney called it an offer. Well, basically they told her that she had had some services before that she needed, um, while she, you know, was parenting her kids. Cause let's, let's have this conversation. And I, and this will probably be another podcast, but one of the conversations is most parents need help, right? Like most parents need help. Like you're starting off, you have a baby, you're going to need help. 
And so what happened with this mom is that um, she needed some help with her other children. And then she had been fighting to get her 10-month-old baby back from state custody ever since the Department of Human Resources social workers came to the hospital three days after her baby was born and took her baby girl from the mother's breast. And so they offered her this thing and said, you know, voluntarily allow your child to be adopted by her foster parents, the same one who had adopted her other two children. And if she was to agree to this, um, she would no longer have to pay child support. Now, here's the thing. Let me tell you. So if you are ever involved in um, the Department of Family and Children's Services and your kids get taken for whatever reason, you are obligated by law to pay child support. So I don't know if um, anybody is aware of that. Also, if your kid goes into, you know, does, you know, commits a crime and they're under the age of 18, they will also, you will also be paying child support. There is a law that you will have to pay child support. I know this from firsthand. Now, I don't know if everybody knows, but my, um, my first three children, my biological children um, are my, th- my oldest. And then my last three are adopted. And so, and I adopted them. They were total strangers when I got them, total strangers. didn't know them. I literally, and it's an interesting story for another podcast, but literally I found them on a website and um, it's an adoption website. And so I was able to, you know, adopt these children who were total strangers to me, but they are my children and I love them to death. So anyway, so if your kids are taken, I had my, my baby daughter went through some stuff, you know, she... Whoo, that child, she was going to be death of me. Okay. I didn't know if I was going to live through uh, or, or end up in jail with that one. Cause she, oh, she's 19 now. Thank God. But she sent me through the ringer. Well, as she sent me through the ringer, what I realized is that um, all the trouble she was getting into. Now, let me tell you how the state approached me first. They approached me with, Hey, you know, your daughter is getting into some trouble at school. And this was at school. And we were wondering if you were interested in doing like this voluntary probationary program. And basically what we would do would be, we'll be on campus and we will monitor her behavior. And anytime she gets in trouble or any type of behavior at school, we will then take her and, you know, send her to these classes and all of this type of stuff. I thought it was a great idea. It's a voluntary program. I thought it's ran by the you know probation department. And I thought this was really, really great. Like, oh, this is a great service. Well, she continued to get in trouble. She wasn't going to the classes. She wasn't doing all the stuff that they told her to do. And so they wanted to escalate it. And they were telling me like, you know what? You know, she doesn't take us serious and we really need to do something with this. Like she really needs to be on real probation, but she hasn't technically committed a crime. She keeps running away from home and, you know, staying out and doing all these things. And she was a minor, but really she was what they call a juvenile delinquent. And because she was a juvenile, now mind you, I'm talking, I'm speaking, I'm not a teen parent at this point. Now I was a teen parent. That That's a long time ago. I'm talking, I'm real grown. Okay. Not only that, I'm real grown. I'm also a nurse. I'm a therapist. I am, you know, social worker, like all of this stuff. But this kid was driving me nuts. And so I thought these resources from this agency was really going to be of help to me. Well, anyway, she ended up in placement. 
And when she went to placement, um, they put her in juvenile hall first because she kept running away. She stole some stuff from a local store. She stole some money out of our house. And then they told us, look, I think you should press charges. And so um, it, and now let me tell you how they, let me back up. They said, if you press charges, she will then take us serious because she will really have like, she'll be on probation. It's juvenile, but she'll really be on probation. And at that point, she'll understand like, we're not playing with her. We listened. We listened. She ended up, uh, didn't listen to the judge at all. The judge took it personal because she refused to listen. She continued to do the things that she was doing. She was wilding out. Like my kid was really wilding out. And so they ended up putting her in placement. Now they said, oh, this is like a treatment facility and, you know, whatever. And, you know, it's going to help her and and we're going to, you know, give her therapy and all this stuff. Now I'm a therapist. And so I thought, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, they kept pushing the issue and telling me all these benefits and whatever. Now being full and grown, but the difference is I was tired, right? So I'm not a teen mom at this point, but I'm tired because she's just wilding. She just won't stop. So they put her in placement. When they put her in placement, she stayed for a few months. Then they ended up dropping her back off at the juvenile detention center and saying that they were done with her. Like she has exhausted all of their resources and they're done. Like it's over. So she ends up juvenile hall again. And I'm like, well, how do you end up in juvenile hall from placement? Like that doesn't make any sense. So story goes on. I ended up going to court, going off on the judge and the attorney and everybody else and saying, this is ridiculous. You guys set me up and my baby ended up in this. And you said it was all this stuff. And I believed y'all and I'm even in social services. So I really believe the hype. And I really think that's messed up. Anyway, they ended up releasing her back to me. And in the end, we had to pay child support. Now, I had no idea. Why would I pay child support? Not only did I have to pay child support, my husband had to pay child support. Now, we've been married for 28 years. At that time, we were married. Let me see. This had to be like five or six years ago. So we have been married for 21 years, 22 years. And they said that individually we had to pay child support. It was only $250 for us because we were very active parents. However, it was child support. When we paid the $250, I thought that's it. Then there was another bill for her being in placement that was like $2,500. And then the other bill came that I had to pay $250. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. So could you imagine if you are 16? 17, 18, having a baby. And these big people, and I don't knock Department of Family and Children's Services. I actually am a partner with them. And the work that they do in some cases are really well. So I don't knock them. What I do have a problem with is that the level of understanding that you're wanting a teen parent to have regarding all of this stuff that's going to happen with them if you remove their kid from them, they're not understanding. They don't have the capacity to understand. And if somebody is not advocating for them, this is where we come in at. If somebody is not advocating for them, if somebody's not fighting for them, all the stuff that they're telling them gets thrown right over their head. I was well grown, y'all, like for real, grown, grown. And I didn't know. I work. I am in partnership with the Department of Family and Children's Services because the kids that I serve are in placement already. And I didn't know. The probationary, probation department is what I deal with all the time. And the juvenile detention center is what I deal with all the time. And I didn't know. 
and ended up having to pay this. So anyway, this offer was made to this Alabama mom. She, of course, didn't know what to do, um, but she kept great documentation. Her other kids got adopted out because she had some behavior. I mean, some stuff that she had went through when she was a teen mom. And so, um, you know, she was really up the creek. And they really, you know, took her other two kids and tried to get this one. But of course she sued, which is, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I got a lot of feelings about it. I believe I'm going to follow the story to see if she got her kids back. I think, oh no, she did not get them back because it says she continues. She vows to keep fighting for her children, all of them. And she says she will never give up. So she didn't understand how uh, DHR, which is the Department of Human Resources in Alabama, uh, could make such an offer to her, her. If they can tell her that they won't take any future children from her, isn't that a clear admission that they never had a reason to take any children from her in the past? I don't know. So anyway, there is a opportunity for people to raise money. I'm going to follow the case because this was in 2017. And hopefully I can find out what happened to her children and whether or not she got her children back. There is also a story which is totally opposite of this lady that just graduated in 2019. I believe, let me see, she graduated from college. She had her son when she was 13 years old. They're saying this is, you know, she ended up with a college degree. She was buying a home and everything is great on this lady's end. So this doesn't end in a sad story. This is actually a successful story. But she ended up having her kid when she was 13, but she never stopped wanting to succeed in life. And she kept in her mind that she was going to succeed and she ended up doing it. So she had her son. She went through all of her adolescence and her regular teenage stuff. But she was determined to have a different life and she didn't allow just things that happen in life to really just phase her. So she was able to finish high school, become a CNA. Are you listening to me, people? This is why I am really trying to raise this money so that I can open this facility. I mean, this um, this vocational program, because it is a true opportunity for these girls to get a solid foundation, but it's just costing so much money. And nobody is not messing with me, which is really interesting because they just feel like I should already have, like I should already be established with the nursing school. Like you have to bring money in in order to get money. And that's just, and I have too many other things, as my husband say, irons in the fire, um, to really take from one. I mean, it's not, it's bad business. So you can't like share responsibilities or share finances. You have to do it individually. And I just really need the capital right now. So anyway, this girl went on to be very successful, graduated high school, got herself um, a college degree, um, ended up, you know, of course she spent time on, on welfare and, and needed that assistance or whatever, but she was able to end up, you know, graduating and doing really well and, and, and being a success story, was able to buy a house and all this stuff. And she is one who had her kid at 13. Now, the difference is you have this other lady who has no support and you have this other lady who had support and she had support in the sense. Now, was it hard? Absolutely. It was hard. She describes that in the article that it was really hard. However, she had support and what support looks like for one and then lack of support on the other is like vast difference on what you're going to see in that person's life and really the outcome that's going to happen for them. And that's one of the reasons why I do what I do. All right. So we're at the half halfway point right here. And um, I really want to get to the real topic. And that is help wanted. 
um, I was sitting down talking to one of my girls in placement and we were just having a real candid conversation about what would you want people to know as I'm developing this program for teen parent advocates? Like, what would you want them to know? And she said, I want them to know that help is wanted and help is needed. Like, we don't know what to do. You, I'm 15 years old and you give me a baby. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I literally do not know what to do. So if I'm going into, say, the DMV, right, because in order for them to get their children's birth certificate, they have to have a California ID. So in order to get an ID, you have to go into a line, right? But if you are in foster care, you don't have all the support unless you have an agency like mine and there's some others that will really go and just hold your hand. But if you were just a teen mom and you didn't have anybody, it's just you and, and maybe a grandma or something, and nobody is really supporting you. And you walked into the DMV trying to get a California ID, and the little mean lady that sits at the counter or the mean gentleman that's sit, sitting at the counter says to you, this is what you need. You need an original birth certificate. You need this. You need that. And if you don't have this, move to the next, You know, whatever, go to the end of the line, get the stuff you need, and then come back. Are you going to do it? But you need that in order to get your kid's birth certificate. You also need to be able to go to the Social Security office and obtain your kid's Social Security card. You also need to be able to get Medi-Cal, um, if you're a teen mom, Medi-Cal services. But as an adult, has anybody ever gone to like a county office? Have you gone down to a county building and experienced what it's like to go down to the county office? Um Early in my marriage, um, remember I had my son when I was 19, um, I think shortly after that, um, we ended up, my husband lost his job and I wasn't working at the time. I was in school and we had to get on TANF, which is welfare, right? Sister Loach, yes, you know. So going down to that office is all, so super. Now, mind you, I didn't have parents. I don't have a mother. I don't have a father. My mother died when I was young. I don't know who my father is. So that guidance of somebody taking me down to the welfare office to say, this is what you need to do, I did not have. And so my husband and I, who were, he, he's four years older than me, but he had no experience with going down to the county office. And so we're going down to the county building. That's what they used to call it. I don't think they call it that anymore. Department of Social Services, I think. Standing in that line, which is forever, and some of them, I'm not going to say all, because I would never say all of anybody, was some of the rudest, most disrespectful people I have ever experienced in all of my life. Sonia said, yeah, it feels like manipulation. It is crazy. They talk to you bad. You don't know what they're asking for. They're rude and so disrespectful. And you're just simply trying to get help. Young, scared, you know that your kids got to eat. You don't have any source of income coming in. You don't have any money. You are just trying to get some food stamps and some cash aid and hopefully some Medi-Cal so that your kids can go to the doctor. And that's really all you want. And it's almost impossible to get it. Because then they make you come back and then you have these appointments and then you have to check in and then you have to bring the, the babies down and you have to do all of this stuff. And if you don't have, let's top it off, right? If you're a teen, you don't have a car. So how are you getting down there? So you done took three buses down to the county building. 
You get down to the county building. They're sending you through all this stuff, telling you you need all this stuff. You don't know what they're talking about because you're a child, right? It's hard if you're an adult. Now, if you're doing it and you're a kid, you can almost forget it. It is hard. You don't know what to ask for. They're rude. They're treating you bad. You don't know what to ask for. You don't know what they're talking about. And the service that is supposed to be something that's helping you move forward in life really makes you feel like trash. If you have any sense about yourself or if you feel like you have any type of dignity or respect for yourself, you don't want to sit there. You don't even want to take it. You almost want to say, you know, if I didn't have kids, I would have said, you know, keep it. But then you look down at your baby and you say, I don't have any money. Like, how am I going to feed my baby? Like, I need it. So I'm so upset. And yes, they talk to me like I'm trash, but I need it. Now, I'm talking as an adult. Could you imagine being 16 years old? Could you imagine being 13? Even going, okay, let me take y'all back for y'all, you know, who remember. Do you remember the food stamps, how they used to be? They used to be these paper, right? And you had to take them out in front of everybody and the people had to literally like stamp them. It was the same thing for WIC. So they would stamp the WIC vouchers, but then they would also stamp the food stamps. So you have to lay them all out and they would have to stamp them and go through all this stuff. People would be so mad, disrespectful. People just like talking trash in the line and whatever. And you're just holding up the line and, and you feel like, you feel so awful. You feel so awful. You feel so embarrassed. You feel like, oh my gosh, if I could do better, here's where help wanted, help needed is. If I could do better, I would do better. Right? If I didn't have to go to the county building in the welfare office and ask for services, I would not. If I had the resources to take care of myself and my baby, I would do it. People don't have it. So people are having to rely on these service providers to treat you a certain way. So even in the grocery store, I'm just trying to get my kid some food. I'm just trying to feed my family. And you're mad at me because I'm in this line trying to get the stuff. In the wick, they told you what kind of milk you can get. And if it's not on the list, it's one of the most. Oh my gosh, get something that's on, not on that wick list. That's not wick approved. And watch those people tell you, <laughs> they this is not approved. This is not approved. Sorry, we can't this. They start to throw, take stuff off your little whatever, tell you you need to go back and get the right stuff, all this stuff. And you're just like, oh my gosh, somebody please help me. You really want the help. You really want somebody to help you. But let me tell you, you want somebody to help you without judgment. You want somebody to help you without stigma. You want somebody to help you because they genuinely want to help you. You don't want people helping you with an attitude. Like, don't come to me and say, oh, well, God, what do you need? What do I have to get? You don't want that. You will walk away. You'll walk away not getting the stuff that you need. And you wonder why. And let me tell you this. And this is a side note, probably for another episode. This is why people are homeless. Going to a homeless shelter. Try to get in a homeless shelter. You have to be in at a certain time. You can't bring your little dog if you have a dog. You can't bring in but one bag. 
you have to pack your stuff away or put it somewhere else. And you got to be out at a certain time early in the morning. Cause when that little knock, 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 it's time to get up. You got to get up and do that also. How do people supposed to get help? If every service that they attempt to go to makes them feel like trash. It's without dignity. Most services are without dignity. I'm telling you as a service provider, I have to do these calls. I do cold calls just to see that if my one of my girls need help, what would it look like? And I tell you the truth, it is still to this day, and I've been doing this for a long time. My nonprofit has been open for almost 14 years. And I can tell you this, it is still one of the things that just bring tears to my eyes. Because people are still with attitude. They're so demanding or rushing you on the phone when you're just trying to get an understanding. You're just literally trying to seek help. And people make it so difficult to get the, the small things. And it's stuff, let me tell you, WIC is free, right? It's women, infant, and children. It is a federal program. It is free to anybody who has who has a certain income and have children under the age of five. And you can have it until the age of five. And they give you milk, cheese. It's like that government program. We used to have that, you know, that block cheese or whatever. It's not like that. You don't have to wait in long lines. They actually have offices, but it's, you know, milk, cheese, eggs, fruit, baby milk, that type of stuff. They provide, And they give you classes and all this stuff. It's a free service. But when the first thing they ask you when you go is, what's your address? And the second thing they ask you is, "I need you need to show proof of income. So if you are homeless, one, or if you cannot show that you, you know your proof of income, then they treat you like trash. It's like your services are almost denied. For my girls who don't have proof of income, I had to call Sacramento and go off. And say, what do you want these girls to do? So in, in our WIC office, they always accept us. But I had to throw a fit. I really had to look up in order for them to realize that this is a free service. These girls are in foster care. There is no reason why they're pregnant and parenting. You should not be denying them services, period. And they don't have proof of income and they don't need it. They don't have birth certificates. They, don't have, they have to wait for that stuff to come. I just got, she just got in placement. What do you expect? But I can tell you this, if they were by themselves, if they did not, do you not hear where I'm going with this? If they didn't have an advocate, if they didn't have a person, my girls, now I'm talking about the 10 that I take care of, okay? Because I can't open my third home until they let me, okay? So the 10 that I take care of right now, my girls are good because I have fought. What happens to every other girl? that don't have an advocate that is fighting for them. I'm really selling this thing to you guys because it's the reality. <laughs> and I'm selling it because I want you to go back in your mind and I really want you to see, to remember how hard it was when you first became a mom and what that was like when you were just trying to get ba basic services, when you didn't understand what an OBGYN was in the first place and what was the difference from a regular doctor, a regular internal medicine doctor or general practitioner. And they're telling you, go to your primary care. And you're like, you are my primary care. And they're like, no, I'm your OBGYN. And you still don't know what an OBGYN is. It is hard. And they need help. And I am trying to build a village of people where my girls are able, or the girls all over, teen parents everywhere, can just pick up the phone and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what I need. 
Can you walk with me? Can you go with me? Can you call for me? Can you do these things to help me? I don't like to call for them. I like to take them down and just be there. One of the things that I do, and when the, and my girls will walk away. Now, my girls are in placement, so they've been through some things, okay? So they'll cuss you out. So I have to be there to calm them down. But not, while they're cussing and fussing, they're crying. Tears are streaming down their face because they're so embarrassed. They're being mistreated. They don't understand what's going on. And they would rather walk away than to be treated like that. And so they go without. And that is the reality. And that is just not my babies in placement. That are, that's other children that are also in placement. That is teen moms everywhere. And that's who I'm advocating. And teen parents, teen dads. Because what's happening with the teen dads is they don't understand the whole paternity process. And so they are being charged. Um, they're getting child support cases and they are 15, 16 years old. <laughs> And so they're not understanding that as they grow and be able trying to get regular stuff until they pay that back because their ch child is in placement, they're stuck. What are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to handle it when they don't even understand what a declaration of paternity is? They're so happy thinking that sometimes, and I just, you know, in some cases, they don't even know whether or not the kid is really theirs. They're just excited because this is their girl and not realizing that if you sign that declaration of paternity and she decides to take you to court, that you are saying and obligated that this is your child and you don't need a paternity test. You are saying, this is my, I just want to sign a birth certificate. Well, yeah, you're signing a birth certificate saying that you're the father. And so legally, by law, you are obligated to pay for that child until she's 18 years old, to that baby or he or she is 18 years old. Well, if you're 16 or 17 or just turning 18 and you don't understand this and you're just happy to be there when the baby is born, and then you find out that the baby later on, because you don't ask for a paternity, but when you finally grow up and do, the baby is not even yours. You don't get let off the hook. <laughs> You don't get left off the hook. You don't get to say, oh, okay, well, no, what happened was that doesn't happen. You have to fight and you'll need an attorney and you'll need money to do it in order to take yourself off.